You're listening to the Golf Science Lab, where we take a look at performance and learning through the lens of research. Hey, I'm your host, Cordy Walker, and welcome back to the show. Uh, Today, we are sitting down again in our third part with Corey Lundberg and Matt Wilson, who wrote this fantastic book called Better Faster. And we've been talking about learning. We've been talking about how to make your practice more effective and, and how to actually get better and how to do it faster. Today, we are talking about the mindsets of a super learner. So what are some of the characteristics and the mindsets and the approaches and in the ideas that a super learner or someone that does learn really well and effectively brings in to practice, brings into training, brings into a golf lesson with an instructor? Uh, it's a great conversation as we kind of discuss what are some of the essential things that you can bring to practice any level of handicap, whether you're an elite player uh, or a 30 handicapper just getting started, uh, that you can bring into training that are going to help you learn faster. So we'll get to that as well. We have a segment in here on Research of the Week. Make sure to listen in to that. Corey Lundberg shares one of his uh, favorite research papers that he's read and kind of explains why it's relevant to us in this context. Also, we are doing the giveaway for coaching if you purchase the book and leave a review. If you listen to the end of this episode, we talk about that and how you can get access to that. Make sure to check it out. I think every golf instructor should spend time understanding what's going on with the golfer in the ground. And here's a great explanation of why from PGA Tour instructor Mark Blackburn. From a coaching standpoint, whilst the feet may not be directly responsible for what's going on, it's a little more ankle up, the feet are a great proprioceptive cue for players and students because from a biofeedback standpoint, one of the things that's really powerful about this is that the student can actually see what they're doing. The visual representation of how hard they're pushing with the lead or the trail foot, the trail toe, the lead toe. Now all of a sudden you can actually use that to help them control what's going on here. So it's kind of you're taking it from the other end up because people are walking around all day long. Their proprioception is so good in their feet. If you want to learn more, make sure to go through the Body Track Certification. It's a fantastic program. I highly recommend that you do that. You can learn more at golfsciencelab.com slash bodytrack, B-O-D-I-T-R-A-K. If you go to that link, type that into your phone, you will be taken directly to info on the certification so you can sign up and get started. Or you can click on an image in the article along with this episode to get all the details. I highly recommend that you do. When we're talking about mindsets here, there's this lovely little table in the book, and um, there are all these great traits like solution, uh, solution oriented uh, versus defeatist, fatalistic, or curious to self discover versus complain, complain to the coach, uh, an active participant learning versus passive recipient of instruction. The list goes on, et cetera. Really good mindsets, right? I think like if, if you don't have these mindsets and you bring them into learning, then your learning isn't going to be that effective. So I guess a, a question here when we're talking about being a, a good learner, being a super learner is like, how do you start to develop these, these good traits? When I think about a story about a player I was working with who was was struggling. This to me was sort of, sort of like how this trait manifests itself, so to speak, and was going along, not having much success. Stepped back, shook his head, walked around a little bit, got some water, and then and then came back and, and started doing a, a lot better. And I think it just boils down to awareness, Cordy, and just having that conversation, whether it is with a coach or internally, and just being honest, which is with yourself, which is really really hard to do. 
and which is by definition, these traits are, are maybe not normal, but they're worth gravitating towards and starting to develop. And so sort of w- without being aware of it and, and their value and having a conversation about it, uh, I think it's really hard to develop them. Like, again, like awareness, I think this is a uh, Fred Shoemaker quote, awareness in and of itself is curative. And so when we think about these traits, I think awareness of them is is the first step in recognizing your behavior when you're either A, on the path of that more desirable trait versus when you might be in that sort of not so great state. Yeah. And the the first trait that we have listed is solution oriented, and that's by design. And that's something that we took away from observing a really good coach who I think is a, an incredible coach, James Seekman, is after a shot that you don't like, his, his response is always, what was the solution to that? And it's not necessarily giving him this, the player the solution, but it's asking the player to be curious about what a possible solution could be. And so then they're in this this active participant state of trying to find the best solution rather than being, you know, this just defeatist, which I think we all as golfers, and Fred Shoemaker also calls it the golfer's condition, where we just default to this defeatist kind of attitude of, you know, well, I hit a shitty shot and and that's who we start to identify ourselves as being rather than being more kind of intrigued by, well, what is, what would be a solution to the shot that I just hit? If that can become part of your common practice, something that you do after you know, that little moment of reflection after each shot, I think that's a, a, just a habit that you can start to to gain. I know that that's something that I've taken from James and that I always ask after uh, a, maybe a series of shots that we don't like is, okay, well, well, let's start being solution-oriented. What's the solution to that? Or even after a bad round and, and debriefing the round is, well, let's start to come up with some solutions. I think you it's something that you have to get in a habit. It has to be part of the conversation. As Matt said, you, once you become aware of it, you can you can practice having that as part of your, your ongoing conversation and, and uh, evaluating performance and deciding on where to go next. And I think it also, like, it, it extends over and sort of beyond that. But to me, it also just brings a better tone like we're not sitting here saying what went wrong, what was the problem, what went wrong, what went wrong. So to me, it's a much more positive way to look at an error, and a much more proactive way to spur development and growth. And so just that general like environment of the relationship that you a have with yourself and then b also with your coach, I think is really really benefited by taking that. I'm going to be solution focused rather than problem oriented. If I'm problem oriented, it's going to be really hard for me to both perform and improve. But if I'm solution oriented, I'm recognizing the fact that, you know what, this is the answer. I just need to stick to it and I need to keep getting better. So I'm here in the book reading a little bit and you say, so a curious player would be, you know, why did that happen? What do I do differently? How do I fix that? Other players tend to let emotion rule the moment they hit some bad shots, get angry, slam the club, etc. Just a bit of a challenge on that. Like, I think we see a lot of that on TV, right? Like people getting getting angry, you know, over, over shots, et cetera. I mean, are the, are the players we see on TV, not super learners or like what, what, would, what's going on? No, there? their turnaround time is like, is, is way quicker than most golfers. And as you say, it's natural to get upset. And I, I think it's crazy to think that you're going to react to a poor performance in a positive way. You know, as you just had the great series with Lennon Pia, they say, let's be neutral or objective instead of negative about our reaction. So I, I think that, yes, there are negative reactions to shots on TV with great players, but the the fact that maybe you don't see the walk to the next shot and how quickly they're able to turn around, 
would be the big difference point of differentiation between a, a normal recreational player who probably is hanging on to that a little longer and maybe not using that to uh, to spur on some some question of okay I know what to do next time I'm going to be responsive and adapt to to what just happened I don't think that happens with a recreational player but at the same time I I also don't think it's fair to to kind of create this logical condition of all great players are great super learners I don't necessarily think that that would that would hold true do you agree with that Corey awfully quiet over there I think like learning and performance well they have a close relationship I think that to suggest that all players who play well are those who demonstrate all characteristics of a super learner I just I don't necessarily have maybe the the sample to to draw on but I can suggest that they might be good in some areas but could develop in in others I don't think any anyone ever really arrives there and I think that some of those reactions that you might see and there are some people out there who who have it who carry it over and it and it's tough for them um so I I don't necessarily think that all great performers are great super learners i think most and at least some but i don't think um all yeah i I would just say i think for the most part they have most of these characteristics of developing excellence uh, and that's how they got to where they are so i would say while they may not have them all they've got most of them all right, we're back for research of the week. We're highlighting different pieces of research that Corey and Matt have found interesting and talking a little bit about it and then looking at some of the takeaways. Uh, today, we are talking a little bit about soccer. Corey, is that right? Yes, yes. Paleta. It's Brazilian soccer is, is what the paper's on. Okay, well, get us into it. What's going on here? Paleta means naked in Portuguese, I guess. And so when they're they're saying naked the environments are naked of any kind of instruction or any kind of structure really it's just informal play so this paper that was sent to us by a former guest on the golf science lab uh graham mcdowell titled the role of ecological constraints on expertise development and the whole idea behind the paper is that it is interviewing a few expert high-performing soccer players that grew up in Brazil uh, and they weren't developing those skills on the, you know, perfectly manicured surfaces or within some high performance academy uh, with great coaches. They were learning, you know, and, and basically what I would think of in, in U.S. terms, like a sandlot, uh, just some local field where they were developing their skills. And some of the, the characteristics of the game that the researchers highlighted as being really important to their development were that the playing spaces, they differed. Sometimes they weren't the size of a, a regular soccer field. Sometimes the actual surfaces would change. They could be on dirt. They could be on grass. There was variability in the game times that they played. And there was no coach. There was no structured environment that was teaching them how to play better. The players were really just modeling the better players. And there's some really interesting anecdotes or or quotes from these uh, great soccer players that indicate to us that there's a real value to this kind of explorative, you know, modeling of better players and and this variability that in the environment that we're learning that can create some real flexibility or adaptability to our skills. And I'm, I'm just going to, I have it in front of me. I'm going to read one of the quotes was one of the players says that dribbling the ball bare feet without twisting or damaging his ankle on uneven surfaces was a considerable feat. 
uh, dribbling on the border of a slope, not allowing the ball to drop down was another great challenge. And he performed both of these tasks, you know, easily over time. And then when he was going to a to a regular field, things seemed a little bit easier. And he had these set of skills that wouldn't necessarily emerge on their own if he was in the, a more traditional learning environment. And so I, I think that there's some cool takeaways for us as golfers where we often are learning in this very sterile environment. It's very stable. We're thinking about our technique rather than putting us ourselves in situations where these these unique kind of creative skills can emerge on their own. I, I think there's cool examples of that within golf, you know, these fables of of Seve learning to to hit bunker shots with a three iron on the beach in the sand and then him becoming this this player who's known for his creativity and ability to adapt to to a variety of conditions. So uh, it's one of my favorite papers and one that, that Matt and I will go back to often to reference and, and to really offer some inspiration if we feel like we're getting too stuck in what is traditional and, and what is typical of, of what we most golfers see, what instruction should look like or what coaching should look like. I think that's a, a great example of, of, of Seve, you know, hitting those bunker shots with the three iron. I think that brings it kind of home of what that would look like in, in golf and how those constraints can help someone build some really unique skills or really some, some elite level skills. Great paper, great takeaways. Uh, thanks for sharing that one, Matt. That's good. And this leads right into the next, which is kind of curious to self-discover. And I want to talk about self-discovery a little bit in, in this mindset of the super learner segment, because I see self-discovery as something that's lacking in most golfers. They're just not willing to do it. So, I mean, what are some of the first st- steps to get someone to have the ability to self-discover and give themselves enough time to self-discover? Like, what are some of the first steps to get someone down that path? Well, I would say pause. Like, I think a lot of golfers, like, we'll, we'll classify this as sort of the golfer without a coach, so to speak. There's not a whole lot of time given to reflection. And I think when there's not that sort of time, there's no sort of gestation period for yourself to ask the questions of why. And so I don't think that question of, of, of why gets asked on, on by the golfer when they may, may have like a string of errors, so to speak. And that sort of speaks to... Earlier in the conversation, when we talked about sort of that, quite a lot of golfers who are maybe mid or high handicappers keep thinking that two plus two is five in, in, in golf speak, so to speak. And so consequently, there's there's not really that underpinning understanding. So that really curiosity, it, it, it's tough for them to create it if they don't have that understanding of why the ball is doing what they're doing. They keep getting the wrong answer. They're just going to keep trying stuff. And if you have a coach, I think it just is a paradigm of, maybe instruction and and maybe why it's a trait demonstrated by great coaches is providing the opportunity for that golfer, that athlete to develop that curiosity by asking really good questions. I think um, oftentimes guilty as charged on a few occasions is sort of caving to that sort of, I, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Give me that answer um, when you're with a player. And so I think that it takes a lot of patience or presence of mind, so to speak, to sort of take a step back and, and ask the question and ask that golfer sort of self-source the solution, so to speak. And so really that, 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 inter- that, that reflection requires so much discipline. And you also need understanding of what you're doing in order for that curiosity to be sort of positively directed. And then coupled with perhaps if you had a coach who is just sort of too quick to press the advice button, so to speak, and not necessarily probe the learner to to articulate what 
knowledge they have and, and how they feel that that relates to the solution required. That make any sense at all, boys? Oh, it, it does. Um, it's just that most people don't, don't give themselves enough time to self-discover. I mean, the research shows that self-discovery is, is way more effective for attention, but not many of us do it. Yeah. One, one quick comment on that, just to say this blanket, uh, statement of you're supposed to go to the range and self discover our solutions is I think misleading. Part of what our job as coaches is to be the guide. So we know the questions to ask that will create the the discovery. And so in, unless you have that, then I think it's going to be hard to do. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's part of we're asking very pointed questions of the learner that will hopefully uh, help them arrive at the right answer. And we do that. The self-discovery is important because then, you know, you have not only the, the, the gain and confidence of, hey, I'm the one who came up with the solution, but then the, the retention part of when you do, when you're not just reactive to someone telling you the answers and you come up with them yourself, they're likely to hang around a little longer and hopefully show up when you're on the golf course. So they've got better retention and transfer when you're doing that. But I think you have to have the guide. I don't think you can go to the range by yourself and you don't know what you don't know. And so yeah. unless you someone pointing you in the right direction, guiding you, nudging you towards the correct answers, that's the value of, of coaching and self-discovery. And again, like if you're just there by yourself without that person nudging you in the right direction, without having sort of any underpinning knowledge of sort of why the ball does what it does and how that is sort of related to sort of what you do with the club and, and, and your body, it makes it really difficult. So I think in absence of having that coach who's, an expert question asker and is able to ask the pointed question, it becomes very difficult if you don't have sort of some structural knowledge about why the ball does what it does. So to set the stage here, if someone doesn't bring this mindset of self-discovery with a coach that doesn't understand this, um, there's going to be a, a clash. We're looking to, f to find a coach that is looking to have a student have, that have moments of self-discovery uh, and a student that's willing and open enough to go through that and to find their own solution instead of just looking to be a recipient of instruction. Yeah, we want to create capacity, not dependency. Pretty simple. Pretty simple, Matt, just like you said. <laughs> Pretty simple. It's not that hard, boys. <laughs> I love it. And so like I, looking through this list, right, we've got conscientious, self-compassion, follows a plan, focused, committed, curious, active participant, excited to learn, positive self-talk, disciplined, reflective. Like if somebody has these traits, let's just say, and they're able to bring them into golf, like to me, this sounds like a person that's just killing it no matter where they're at <laughs> whatever field they're in like th this is a top one percenter right this is an incredible person so i mean th there's obviously a balance right <laughs> not everyone's going to have these you know a, a lowly mid handicapper is just looking to start with awareness right i think so and i think i i'm not sure if this is one of Corey's favorite or if it's one of my favorite i'm not sure but i think that self-compassion piece is a really important one especially as you're striving to get better which will inevitably carry with it um, peaks and valleys that can get pretty low um, at times. If you have to make a relatively significant technical change, for instance, in order to get to the level of performance that you want, maybe off the tee. And uh, it takes high character to be nice to yourself during that time. And I think that is a really, really key trait that I am not sure gets enough uh, press. Corey, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I don't know that it's my favorite, but I know that. Oh, it's your favorite. Well, my favorite students have it. Yeah. And, and con contrasting that, the, the students that are the clients that I've worked with, with once and 
all of a sudden they try to book another lesson and, and I'm not as available anymore are the students that don't have this just because it's, it's just a toxic learning environment when someone is um, after a bad shot, really, really quick to, to get upset at themselves. And, you know, failure is inherent in this learning process. If we truly are, are pushing ourselves to the brink of our ability level, we're going to run into some failure at some point. And the players that deal with that better are just a treat to coach and they're fun to be around. And those are the students that make the most progress. So, um, yeah, I would say it's, it's like a requisite for, for someone that I would, I would end up working with, uh, in a long-term relationship. Perfect. Well, I, I think we've had a good conversation around the mindsets of a super learner then. And I think some people have, have some ideas about maybe where to start, maybe some things that, that you relate to that, that you can work on and, and where to start working on them. Cause we all can definitely work on some of these. There's no way that that if you're listening, that you are incredible at all of these, um, <laughs> there's definitely something here for you. Um, and then the last thing is we're doing, we're doing a little giveaway action. Make sure to get signed up for that. This is the last episode. So time is running out shortly. You got to pick up your copy of better, faster, leave a review on Amazon, take a screenshot of that tweet. One of us, uh, Matt Wilson, Corey Lundberg, Golf Science Lab, Cordy Walker, one of those, uh, and we will get that or email betterfaster at golfsciencelab.com. And they're going to be entered to win something pretty sweet. Corey, what are they going to be entered to win? Yeah, we, we just had someone that read the book contact us and ask us to come out and see them and spend a day with them and then develop a pr- ongoing practice plan based on the assessment that we see. So while I don't think it's realistic that we can come out and see everybody in person because there's some other costs associated to that, what we would be happy to do and what I, I think would be of a lot of value is to once someone, whoever our winner is, once they go through the assessment plan, is that we can be that coach that guides them along you know, changing or editing the practice plan as necessary over time. So take a period of time, maybe that eight week plan, and we will personally uh, design it with tasks that we think will make the biggest impact on their games. And then have some time throughout that eight week period where we touch base with them, decide if we're doing enough to move the needle, how we can change and alter the plan, and then ultimately give them a, a good program to follow over a long-term period of time to, to help reach their goal. So we're excited about the opportunity to, to do that for somebody. That is incredible. Uh, I would not miss this chance to, to get a chance to win that. So make sure to get the book, leave a review, let us know about it. Thanks guys for joining us for this series. It's been fun to sit down over the past three weeks and, and share some some knowledge with some folks and give people some insights from, from Better Faster and share your, your thoughts. It's been fun. Cordy, we love listening uh, to all your different series and podcasts. And so it was a pleasure to be on. We appreciate it, man. Anytime, Cordy. As always, a blast. And keep making these great podcasts. They've certainly made my drives in far more enjoyable and educational. Thank you so much to Corey Lundberg and Matt Wilson for joining us on the podcast and sharing this info with us over the past three weeks. Make sure to say thanks to them by picking up their book, leaving a review on Amazon, letting them know about it, and or just tweeting them and, and saying thanks. Uh, it would mean a lot uh, because they've taken their time to share such fantastic info with us. Make sure to stay tuned. We are taking a short break after this, but we'll be back with season five shortly. Make sure to follow along on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for kind of the updates as we go so you can stay in touch with what we're working on here at the Golf Science Lab. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all soon.